With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, the shark, baby. Has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie, baby, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark. So welcome to this latest episode of Macklin's Take, everybody. With myself, Andy Clark, and Matt Macklin, and we've got an interesting one for you today. But before we get into that, just uh, a quick thanks for the feedback on the first disc boxing life we did in Birmingham a few weeks ago with Paul Ramsey, Anthony Maynard, Darren Sweeney and Sean Cogan. And a few people have been asking us if we're going to do more of those. And the answer is we would definitely like to, uh, but we're probably going to need your help with it because they're not that easy to sort out rounding up four or five people. And that one was quite easy because Matt knew them all and he knew that they all knew each other and they knew him and it would be it would be good crack. But... If there are any former pros or current pros actually out there, trainers who, who fancy doing one of them and you're still in touch with some old gym mates, some current gym mates, people you see a lot, people you came through with um, and you fancy getting them all together and, and just reminiscing and, and, and having a chat with myself and, and Matt, then we can definitely do that because we get up and around the country regularly. So just uh, get in touch and let us know because, like I said, we're, we're definitely keen to do more of them. So back to today's and... The reason this is an interesting one is because something we talk about a lot on this podcast is the is the politics of boxing and the snakes and ladders of it, the, the kind of greasy pole that it is that you have to try and climb, particularly when you get up towards the top end, because that's where, where our guest today is. He's closing in on a world title, which is exactly what you want, but in football manager speak... Uh, it provides you with good problems because there are all sorts of things that come into play then and, and nobody really knows more about it, particularly at that weight, at middleweight, than, than Matt. Uh, and Liam Williams is our man. You may well have guessed that uh, with that rather lengthy preamble. So th- thanks for coming along, Liam. We're up in Sheffield where, where you're training these days. And and yeah, just just take us through where you are in your career I could fill in some gaps if you leave anything out but just take us through where you are at the minute because you are you are right on the precipice now you're right on the brink yeah exactly um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm at number two in the ratings right now of, of the WBO is, which is kind of uh, you know the belt I'm looking to challenge for sometime soon um, I should have been number one I had a final eliminator um, but then Mungia moved up from the 154 division and obviously got put in as number one, which is kind of standard rule, so you know that's fair enough. But I'm just at a bit of an awkward position at the moment because I'm knocking people out um, and getting good wins, but I'm not quite the I'm not a big enough name where the big names in the middleweight division want to want to challenge me and too much of a risk and, and not enough reward them. 
I mean, that is a that is a tricky position. You're at number four with the WBC as well. Champion there's Jamal Charlo. Uh, you've got Drevianchenko, uh, Munguia, and Gemaretta, I think, uh, ahead of you with, with that one. So you're well-placed with two governing bodies. But I remember seeing your fight at the Vail Arena, your first with Domingal, in September 2018. And it was, it was a pretty wild night for, for different reasons. Opponents were held at airports, top ropes snapped. Your opponent pulled out. You got a new one on the day. And you looked... You looked really strong and really sharp that night. And, and as I walked away from it, then actually I thought, God, he's going to have a problem because I can't see why anyone would want to fight him. Now that situation resolved itself quite nicely because Jason Wellborn, who was British middleweight champion, got the chance to fight for a couple of world titles against Jarrett Hurd. So he vacated and bang, you were in and you beat Mark Heffron. Yeah. And you've had, you've had a great run since then. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a good last few months, hasn't it? Yeah, I was actually meant to challenge um, James Metcalf for the <coughs> for the light middleweight British title, but uh, obviously the situation came up where Wellborn moved uh, moved on and fought Jared Hurd for for the titles and whatever. And so, so I got straight on the phone and I said, "Look, I'll challenge um, Mark Heffron for the for the middleweight British title," and moved up. So it was a good opportunity for me because Heffron was. Uh, unbeaten in 21 I think it was 17 KOs everybody thought he was going to blow me out of the water I think me and me and Dom my trainer I think we were pretty much the only ones who believed we could win the fight and you know so we took that fight and come through with flying colours and you know it was a massive step forward for me because I'm in a great position now when you talk about that WBO scenario, it, it is WBO rules. The same thing's happened with Usyk moving up from cruiserweight, goes straight in at a number one, a heavyweight. But that doesn't mean that it's not, for want of a better phrase, fucking annoying. I mean, you've, you've worked your way up there and then he just immediately comes in and leapfrogs you. But that's what you're dealing with now. Yeah, it is, you know, but it's just another, it's an, another minor stepping stone because I've gone through enough in my career so far. You know, I've had some bad injuries and setbacks and losses and whatever so it's not too much of a big problem I just I just want to just want to keep fighting regular and as long as they put the the opponents in front of me I don't want to knock overs I want good fights tough fights and for me it's just about I'm just gonna have to keep knocking them over and put myself in a position where they can't deny me anymore okay so I'll hand this over I'll throw this open to Dr. Macklin because uh, there's nobody better really here for a, a career surgery, a career consultation, because you ch- this is your weight, middleweight. You know what it's like. Uh, you're a UK-based fighter as well, and you worked under different TV networks. Um, you were kind of a sole trader, really. Liam's signed with, with Frank Warren. He knows exactly how to manoeuvre his, manoeuvre his fighters, but you've got to take a lot on your own shoulders and, and, and use your own initiative, which, which he did, getting that fight against Heffron, for example. Yeah, funny enough, when he was talking about the Heffron fight, I uh, I actually did. I thought you'd beat Heffron, um, and I knew Mark Heffron. I've known him since he was 18 years old. He, he came and uh, trained with Joe Gallagher for a bit yeah. when I was up there. Um, and I know, I know he's actually a talented kid, Mark, and he's big, strong, and points loads up way too much. And I thought you'd be too experienced. You'll drain him, and you'll get to him. Um, and that's kind of what happened, exactly wasn't it? Happened. You know. Um, but he, uh, but he, but he, well, he is talented. He is a big puncher, and, and not many people wanted to fight Mark Efron because he was high risk, low reward relay as well. So it was kind of ironic that the two got put together. But I also knew that the the losses against Liam Smith would stand here. Um, it's mad, really. I'm, every, when I was twenty four, I fought uh, Jamie Moore. I'd lost, I'd lost as a you know, in a turn pro. We were talking about this the other day to. Uh, Steffi Ball, wasn't it? You know, I, I was ABA champion at 18. Uh, you know, won everything on the international scene, really. You know, boxed in all the world juniors and everything. And then um, turned pro. I'd been, in, I'd been in a pro gym as well. So I was always going to turn pro. I had a pro style. Um, Rob McCracken approached me about turning professional. I was going to go with McKenna uh, say Anyway, I ended up going with Frank Warren. But the, the long and short of it was... Um, I turned pro, a lot of hype, uh, and, for, and I had seven fights in ten months, six knockouts. You know, I was really blowing yeah, everyone away, and I was, you know, out there. Then, then my career just kind of hit setback after setback. Uh, I had something like three fights in eighteen months, uh, a lot of hand trouble. Then I, then I lost. I did a ten rounder uh, against Andrew Facey, uh, topped my first card, uh, lost, 
<coughs> in a in a scrappy, horrible fight. I thought when I actually had your face, it was with Domingo. I've actually heard yeah. uh, Dom say yeah. stories about facing. I don't know what I was going to say this actually, but I got Dom the last time we sit him down. I said uh, we were talking about the fight. I said, you know, what? I thought I won that fight, though, Dom. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I thought you did too. I thought I just wanted to get that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it was a scrappy close fight. Do you know what I mean? I, I wasn't probably ready for it. You know, for, even though Facey was nowhere near as good, he was experienced. He was awkward. There was things I hadn't experienced. And you know, early on in your career, a good fighter can be beaten by someone who's nowhere near as talented, but just yeah. just more experienced. To, to be honest, you're sorry to put in there, but um, to be honest, looking back, I probably weren't ready to fight Liam Smith. But the opportunity came, and I thought, like, if I pass this by. How long is it going to take me to get it again? Well, he, well, here's the thing, and this is where, where I'm kind of coming where, to where you're at. I, you'd, you'd lost it to Liam. You know, I'd had that loss to Facey. Then I'd rebuilt, and I was like going into the Jamie Moore fight. Now, Jamie Moore was British champion. He'd been in 12-round fights. He'd been up and down in fights. Uh, he'd been in a couple of fights of the year. He was experienced. And again, you know, it was people were split down the middle with that fight because I, was the, I had been the amateur star. Uh, I'd kind of recaptured form under Billy Graham. That was a thriving gym sparring with Ricky Hatton etc and you know there was a lot of people thought I was going to beat Jamie and, and obviously there were some people that, that fancied Jamie as well but again I lost the fight I thought I remember I mean I woke that was a brutal fight I woke up in, in hospital that was like I mean I got stretched out of the ring after yeah. woke up in hospital I spent 24 hours on a droop for exhaustion and dehydration I was watching that fight some work great that's yeah. like just went poof, I'm, I'm lunacy that <laughs> was lunacy of work right? it was like I tried to sprint the marathon you know yeah. just it was there was two things I was, I was the weight was an issue but also that I was far too fired up and I went out like a bull at the gate and James experience I, I, I don't even know his experience he didn't have any other choice but to talk up and, and pace himself because I was going that much but anyway my me, me point being and the relevance and the, 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 the simulators draw with you I'd lost two about 24 years old I'd lost two fights you know I was I was devastated I thought I was going to be probably world champion at 24, 25 now I'm fucking I haven't even won a British title and I've lost two but those two losses made me a better fighter. And I think those two losses to Liam Smith has made you a better fighter. Yeah. And also, you've, you've probably looked at things and you've made adjustments. And I think the move to Dom, I, for me, and I, and I had several trainers throughout my year and as it went along and man, it, promoters and everything, but definitely with the trainers, people say, well, who's the best trainer? It depends. It depends on your style. It depends, it depends on your on personality. Yeah. Who you click with. Do you know what I mean? Where you're at. And I actually... I, I've followed your career since since you fought Liam Smith really those two times because I thought they were, they were good fights and they were you know uh, uh, and I knew you were only young and I knew you were going to get better yeah and uh, and and you have done and it's uh, I, and to me you know we 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 work for Sky which every week we you know we're commentating on the fights and you know I, I big Joshua Boazzi fan Cordina as well because we, they're the ones we're generally talking on prospect and you're kind of past the prospect stage but you but you're not. On the world stage, you're still a, you, 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 you know yeah. what I mean. You're, you're not a pro- prospect on the British level, but in, on the world stage, you're still improving. Still through, you're yeah. still getting, you're still climbing the ladder. And it's um, out, aside from the the ones we're doing on Sky, you're the fighter that kind of jumps out to me. That's why I said it to one. I said I think he's the one. He's at an interesting phase in his career. I think he's he's been uh, he's getting better and better. I said he, he, I thought even though he lost against Liam Smith, he impressed me both times. Then the Heffron fight which again a lot of people probably didn't think he was going to win I did think he was going to win and he did I just think his career is going like that you know which, and by the way we're on a podcast here but I'm pointing <laughs> upwards you know it's, it's growing it's, it's moving in the right direction and <clears throat> we were just saying before we started recording it's like I know where you're at and I know how I know it's frustrating now because you, you, you feel like you're in the peak of your life and you want these big fights but and, and if you get them great you probably are ready but it wouldn't be the. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. It mm. does take another twelve months because I think you're at that stage where you're getting better. Yeah, yeah. I'm still, I still feel like fight. I'm improving. You know, day in day out, really. And um, as you said, it won't be a bad thing. I, I want my shot, and I want it now, really. But if it doesn't come, then I'm not going to get too disheartened. You know, I spoke to someone at breakfast this morning, and um, like going back to the Liam Smith thing, and they said, "Would you change anything? Do you regret anything?" And I said, "I was like." I said on, on my daughter's life, if she drops dead with, where she stands, I wouldn't. I would still lose them fights. I would still lose them how I lost them. And I wouldn't have changed any of the preparation because 
that's why I'm still boxing. I'm doing so well pa- now. Paths lead to paths. You're, because you know, they m- molded me to where, you where I am you are right now. now yeah. Exactly, and you're in you're in great form. Your confidence is great, and, and it's it can be difficult. I mean, I was searching probably my whole career, never probably really found it that that, that trainer to click with. A good run with Joe Gallagher, but you know, I'd, I'd had a few trainers already at that point. But I think you and Dom have really clicked yeah. I mean you, you've had good, I know you've had good sparring up there with Jason Quigley uh, I know he's not there now but you have sparred with Quigley also Billy Joe Cal Brook I mean that's they're the sort of guys you want to be mixing with and 100%. picking up off that experience yeah. so when you look at the world scene though because inevitably that's what that's what somebody in your position is going to do and, and the belt that you're nearest to is the WBO and we've covered Demetrius Andrade last three I think me and Matt and he was on this podcast actually back in July he came over to watch Dillian White's fight against Oscar Rivas and he sat down with us good company enjoyed it and he was pretty open pretty honest about things he sees himself as being not better than WBO world champion because there's not much that is better than that being being a holder of one of those four belts but he's looking above that really is to fight kind of Golovkin or them, them elite level fighters yeah it? or Canelo or, or even Billy Joe Billy Joe Saunders what do you think when you look at him in terms of ability when you say he, he's looking for them elite level fights then you can't really blame him because he's a two time world champion he's been around for some time now and you know he, he does actually deserve a big break but in terms of ability, like I don't think I think I'll beat him. I'd love to get a fight with him. I'd, I'd take the fight tomorrow. Um, but he is, you know, he's awkward. He's tricky southpaw, and he's big for the weight as well. So it's never going to be an easy fight. But I, I definitely think I got the beating of him, and um, I'd love to get a chance to face him. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy. He's in an interesting position, Andrade himself, isn't he? Because the the performances against Akovov and Seletsky and Luke Keeler most recently since he won the title against Courtney Dockwar after Billy Joe Saunders was unable to box that night. They've been okay. They've been good, you, you could say. But in terms of getting those really big fights, probably not good enough. And it's a tricky spot. It's a tricky spot that Andrade's also in. Yeah, it, it, it is, yeah. It's, fu- it's funny, really, that you, you, you know, the middleweight division because you've got the, the number one marquee name in boxing in any weight, which is Canelo. Uh, and probably middleweight is his best weight. But he... He has a version of a title at super middleweight and can go up, up to that. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, probably really better as a middleweight, but he's, again, he's, he's world champion at super middleweight. Uh, and then you've got guys like Demetrius Andrade, who's got a title. And again, he's one of those, Andrade. He, he, he's a good fighter. He's awkward. He's tricky. But, you know, he, he, he had a fight against Luke Keeler where he really had an, a chance there to close the show early and, and, and be impressive and make a bit of a statement. I mean, and when I say a statement, it's not like... He's making a statement because he's beating Luke Keeler, but you know if he'd have, if he'd have blown him out of there in two rounds, it, it, it still looks it's a good win. You're blowing a fire out of there in two rounds, but he laboured for nine rounds after having him down hurt. Keeler didn't. I mean, we clearly didn't have the power to hurt him. Yeah, he, he played it safe for yeah. nine rounds, and then it's like like you you can't be overly frustrated that you're not getting these big fights because you're not doing enough to get them. It's yeah. like winning is not enough at that. When you're at that stage where Andrade is, you know, if, if you're being an avoid, if you're, if you're not, if you're not a marquee name, you're not, you're not selling loads of tickets, you're not a big TV fighter, you've got to try and force the issue and you've got to look impressive and even though he's winning, he's not, nobody's going, nobody's leaving that arena saying, wow, let's go and see that Demetrius Andrade again. You know what I mean? It's just not happening. So, I actually think people like yourself who and there's a couple other guys Mungia as well they're, they're, they're excited they're in exciting fights yeah. you know people use the word fan friendly and 
you know, bottom line is boxing is is not just a sport; it's a business. And if people don't, if people don't care less about watching you, you fight, make people set up and want to exactly. Do you know what I mean? You're right. I mean, that's that, that's a that's always an interesting point. And you turned pro really young. You were 18. You won a welter of titles as as an amateur. And amateur boxing simpler because the aim is to win. And you enter a tournament. It's the same as entering Wimbledon. If you win all your matches, you win Wimbledon. And you're not going to win your semi final. Then have someone say to you, you know what, Liam? You won your semi final, but we're not going to put you in the final because not enough people know who you are. Um, and you're not exciting enough. That that doesn't happen. But but in professional boxing, that does happen. Yeah. So how long does it take you to adjust to the fact that all of a sudden you're in a different place, a totally different? It's not a sport anymore. It's a, it's a completely different industry where being good. It, I mean, it's a great start, but it by itself, it is not enough. Do you know what? To be totally honest, you like it's probably only the last year, maybe eighteen months that I've actually realised the the way that it works. Obviously, I've always known, but if this was two years ago, I'd probably be going off the scale. Like, I just I just want to kill everybody. I'd be going absolutely crazy, like, driving myself insane. But now I think I'm just at that age where I'm just like, just leave it go. I just leave it go mad. And um, for me, it's just, if I keep myself in shape, if I keep within reasonable fitness... I can always take fights which come my way and um, that's just kind of where I'm at but you know going back to the business side of it it's just it's just full of crooks isn't it it's <laughs> boxing such a, it's well, a it, difficult it's sport. complicated isn't it so it, it, it can seem like it's full of crooks it's, it's a complex business and everyone's yeah. got their agenda and their, their allegiances so it's like yeah, I mean, you couldn't be up early enough in the morning, could you? You know what I mean? It's, you've got to be Can't on it. But, but I think you've just got to, as a fighter, I didn't do this, but I think you've, I wish I did, I wish I could have done it. It's just leave it to your switch team off. to do that yeah. and switch off because it burns you up. You know, the emotional energy, the energy that you put into it, it burns you out. And, you know, then, you, then you're then too tired to go to the gym. I mean, there was, there's a couple of things and you were saying, talking then, I think, you know, ambition, I think we all we're all ambitious people, or we wouldn't do what we did, you know, to have that drive to keep going, to go move away from your family. You're um, you're obviously ambitious. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, I was ambitious, but I was also in, that ambition made me very impatient, and that's that's a flaw. And, that, and that's me as that's well. That's a flaw. Yeah, impatience. If I could go back and give my 25 year old self anything, it would be fucking patience. Do you know what I mean? Because by being impatient, it took me longer. If I'd have been patient, it would have come to me quicker. You yeah. know, but. You know, one in everything Dom, yesterday. Dom says to me all the time, he says, look, you're the boxer, you just box. He says, stop thinking because he says you do, you're too energy. dull. <laughs> he energy. says you're too dull to think, you know, man. You know, man. Stop <laughs> thinking, you're you give yourself a headache. You're not meant to be thinking. <laughs> he said, you're not meant to be thinking. You just you just keep punching people in the face and knocking them out. He said, leave leave everybody else to the thinking because you're not made for it. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> I wish that could have, I'm not saying that wasn't said to me, but it didn't get through to me. You know, I wasn't having it. It gets through to me, but just for like half an hour, I calmed down for half an hour. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then all of a sudden... I mean, I, 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 used, to drive Brian, I used to drive Brian Peters absolutely crazy. I mean, I, I, I have... Give us a shout. Phone me, please. You know, then I text him again. We didn't say, I was that persistent. Then I'd ring him. Like, I'd fire five or six missed calls in. No problem. Do you know what I mean? He's probably thinking. I, I'm texting uh, the guy. You know the guys at MDK. Like anything today, anything to, most days, and like I'm sure they're just getting pissed off at me because like I, I know I'm making a pain in the ass myself. But what do yeah, you, yeah. you just want as a fighter? You just want to fight them. Don't get me wrong. There's there's something to being persistent as well. Do you know what I mean? But for your own mental health and sanity and just happiness and well-being, <laughs> you've just got to learn to trust and be patient because it's it. it, it and, 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 and I was impatient even as a fighter, my style. I was fucking. I was just impatient. I wanted everything done yesterday. I wanted to get there now. And I think probably, even though the losses made me better, I think they made me more impatient because I felt like I was behind where I should have been. Do you know you what I mean? catch but, up, yeah. <clears throat> but it is, as someone that's been through it, you got plenty of time. Do you know what I mean? And I think actually the more patient you are and the more you just savour where you're at, keep what control the controllables you can't control what the WBO do what things make you've got Frank Warren you're at MTK they're going to try and manoeuvre and make things happen in that regard I think all you, what you've got to focus on is with Dom is just making sure you're the best fighter you can be that you're developing in every area you can and like you say ticking over 
I didn't tick over. Yeah. I was probably too burnt out thinking about moves that were being made on the managerial yeah. end. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, only, it's only recently I've started doing that as well. I had yeah. two weeks off the gym and I've been yeah. back here in Sheffield well, since, you know. And that's, and that's the way to do it because you don't need any more than two weeks off. You know, have a couple of weeks off. You've had a rest. Get back in. You don't have to go full blast. You don't have to spar 12 rounds every day or anything yeah. like that. But be fit, you know, because really you're at that stage where you could get the call, do you know what I mean? So and that's, you yeah. don't want to think, shit, I can't take the fight because I'm a stone overweight or because I'm not fit, you know what I mean? It's uh, th- it's going to happen for you. Mm. That, that, that's a fact. Yeah. It's going to come, you know what I mean? And I, I can say that from having been there, it is going to happen. So where you're at now, I think it's just, just focus on what you're in control of, which is you. Yeah. Be fit, keep your weight down, keep working on that aspect, get the best sparring you can. It's, I know you're from Wales, but be up here as much as you can. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because when they say live the life, I used to live the life for eight weeks or ten weeks, and now we're going to need the gym for another ten weeks. That's not living the life. Yeah, from that's, one extreme that's to the not other. Living it's not the good life. That's going from one extreme to another. Living the life is living the life 12 months of the year. Yeah. That's living the life. Really, if the phone got, let's say there's a world title, Android or Mungir or whatever, and they pull out, and someone says, well, go in because they're going to go down the list, your name might come to them and they go, can you take this fight in three weeks? You know, that's where you want to be. You yeah. want to be at that stage where you can. Exactly, you can yeah. Got a good point. Got a good point. You, you were living a life. You were living two lives, really, yeah. when you were in, in, your, in your boxing <laughs> career. But, um, yeah, we won't go into that. Yeah. It does seem to me, though, that professional boxing is kind of set up to test your, your sanity as much as humanly possible. If they designed it to do that, they couldn't have done it any better because the problem is that... One of the problems, anyway, it seems to me, is that because you never know what's next, you've got so much time to think about and obsess about what could be next. It's yeah. the only comparison I could think of would be it would be if you're a professional footballer who has to move club every month, so they're constantly looking for a new deal with the future uncertain and yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that is that's a difficult place to be in. So, how do you? When you say you try and switch off from boxing, how do you how do you do it? It's it's very it is very difficult, you know, as Matt said, it's it's one of them things where you're constantly questioning what's next, what could be next and it, yeah, it's very difficult but and, and as you said you got you got a lot of time to think about it. So like I'm here in Sheffield without a date for a fight. I'll train, I'll be so tired so I can only go home and lay in bed. And I'm lying there, and for like the three, four hours I'm laying in bed, I just got question marks fucking flying everywhere in my head. Um, you know, if somebody had a full-time job, they could go and forget about it for the eight hours a day or whatever. But for me, I've got no job, so I'm just boxing, 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 and it's it's difficult. But that's all there is. You have to you have to deal with it the best you can. Do you ever think about trying? something else to try and fill that kind of void something else to, to focus your time on it, c- it couldn't be anything too physically exerting but just I don't know nah d- to be honest with you I, I lower is mentally draining sometimes I just want to put my 100% focus on boxing nothing else because if the time ever does come where I got where I get beat in a fight where like you know I possibly could have won or could have done something better then I'm always going to question should I've been doing something else to take my mind? You can't. You can't do it. It's because you're you're in a you're in a town. You're not really from, so it's not like you just round your mums or your mates or whatever, or just get a cup of tea. Because that's all you can really do. You're trying hard. You've got to recover from the session. You you can only eat certain foods. So you've either got this. You either got your little calf that you go to that you know does it exactly yes, how you yeah, want, yeah. or you go home and you cook it. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you're literally living from session to meal to session to meal, yeah. and it's like. You're low on energy, you're knackered, you, you, you know what I mean? So you, you really, if you're in your hometown, you've got your family or friends that you can just relax and, and chill with and, and kill a bit of time. But when you're in a city you're not from, you know, it, it can be quite lonely, can't it? The, the boxing up. Everyone used to say, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of people didn't tra- tra- train away from where they were from, they lived where they were from. But for me, and obviously what, where Liam's at, he's not, he's not from Sheffield, but he's up here training, so... I know how that feels when you're away from home and yeah and, and listen it's not as bad now you've got like social media and whatsapp and all the rest of it but it's it, it can be quite lonely everyone says the diet in the hardest part it wasn't for me in the end it was initially but in the end it was like the loneliness being away it, you know i've been stuck out in los angeles fucking 
six weeks next to the gym. He's like, yeah, God, would you not have a laugh with the lads in the gym? Yeah, I do, but I'm in the gym for two hours. It's a long old day. Yeah, you're right, that, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So it's, but it's, yeah, and it is, it's trying to find something that you can do that doesn't exert your energy where you can switch off a little bit mm. because otherwise you don't switch off. You start thinking about well, where I'm or what ranking and he could get that fight. If he beats him, maybe I'm with him. But then I've heard he's just signed with him and you start driving yourself crazy <laughs> with all these things. <laughs> I, I just I just watch Netflix for hours upon hours every single day. And like, my eyes are going to go square I, soon. I wish I'd had Netflix. When I was in the Vagabond next to the wild card, I, I had Netflix. I don't even see much daylight. You I've know? just been smashing the box sets completely out of the park. <laughs> I, just, I just go to gym, I get back, I eat my breakfast. I lay in bed for like, Four hours, blinds down, bedroom door shut, total darkness. And I just think, just, just shut off and try and kill some time until I have to go again, do you know what I mean? It's not a glamorous life. I mean, I think people maybe have the idea that, that some athletes, professional athletes have have glamorous existences, but it's it's far from that. It's, it's a very Spartan one. What was it like making the move up here then? Because you did that, I mentioned that, fights in September 2018 back down in Cardiff that was your first with Dom you've been together a few weeks at, at that point Would, did you feel like you needed to to do what Matt just said just just not train where you lived you needed to make more of a you needed to go more all in than you were is that it? Yeah 100% I, I think if I tried staying in Cardiff where I was training um, I was obviously with Gary Lockett in Cardiff and we had a very good relationship, so it was hard to, to go away from him, to be honest. But I think if I tried to stay in there, then I probably wouldn't be boxing today because I would have just had enough and I would have gone off the rails and, you know, whatever. There's, there's so many different different things which could have derailed me. But it was difficult coming here because at the time I, was, I had a girlfriend when I moved here. Um, not with her anymore, but... That was one thing. Obviously, I've got my little girl. Um, you know, I miss her. Terrible, but so that's another thing. Like just being away from family and um, being away from the comforts of your own your own home. You know, and uh, there's so many different things. Which, to be honest, when I first came here, I thought I knew it was a good move and I knew I needed to do it. But in the back of my head, I was thinking this ain't gonna last long. But lucky enough, I settled in and. Like and on art, I'm I'm settled here. I'm happy there. You know, I I only go home Friday and Saturday night on the weekend just to see my little girl and um, do things do things with her. But to be honest, if I didn't have my little girl back home, I probably wouldn't even go back home. What What's it like stepping into a new gym for the first time, particularly when it's some somewhere like St Thomas's at, at Winco Bank, a really famous gym and it's got some big name fighters in it already and, and, a, and a very well known trainer of course who and you want to be there because that's 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 the decision that you've that you've made but it's like stepping into any new changing room for the first time isn't it you've got some you've got a point to prove almost yeah for, for me it wasn't too bad because I'd previously been to uh, Ingle Jim Sparring with Kelbrook when he's boxing uh, Golovkin so I'd done quite a few rounds with him there got to know Dom and the other guys at the gym a little bit you know so it wasn't too uncomfortable for me but like I, I've always been quite confident in myself anyway and like I can walk in a in a room of 100 people I don't know and I'll just I'll make friends with everybody you know I'm that type of person so when I first went in it was obviously a bit like I was almost a bit starstruck certain times because I could see the big names like obviously Kel, Barry uh, Billy was there and I was like you know, this is amazing. I'm in the same gym as these guys now. But as time goes on, you just like for me, I just do my own thing, and I couldn't care less what anybody else is doing. I'm there to better myself and to be the best I can possibly be. So, but it, it is a good place to be. Everybody's very friendly, and everybody trains very hard. But you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good laughs that go on as well. So, it makes it easier. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. 
So we, one subject I've always found quite entertaining or potentially quite entertaining, just because there's 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 a there's a potential for I don't know some kind of comedy sketcher in this is is what it's like when it comes to to leaving a trainer because it must be it must be hard it must be hard like you were with Gary for a long time and and if Gary's listening to this this is not we're not I'm not making light of of, of anything here because Gary's a lovely bloke and and I really enjoy chatting to him but um, I'm a bit scared of him to be honest I think if he turned a look on me I would be a bit scared of him he's he's soft really you know Um, but when you went to when you went to make that decision, and you're on good terms now, and uh, and you're still good friends, and that that happens a lot, you know, people can can part ways uh, in exactly the right way, but even so, it must be like it must leave you in absolute turmoil when you know you've got to deliver this news to someone who probably doesn't who probably doesn't see it coming, and it's it's like I don't know, it's like. It's like you're in a relationship and you're dumping someone and they don't know what's going to happen. I mean, how do you... I mean, you did it a few times. <laughs> Matt Clean. You've got to hold the world record for it. <laughs> so how do you, like... I mean, I don't know. i just got visions in my head of you just thinking, right, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to do it today. Then you get to the gym and they're really happy about something. They show you a picture of their kid yeah, playing and you say, like, I can't do it today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. It's like... you Are you speaking about it off, off record just now? And um, it's just like you psych yourself up. You think, right, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that. I'm going to get it done today, and then you get there and you just you just shit yourself, and you just you just can't do it, and it's like fuck. Okay, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's difficult because when you when you when you've built uh, a good relationship with someone over quite a long period of time, and and they've done good things for you and they've helped you out, not not just. Um, in your career but the personal things as well I used to speak to Gary about a lot of things you know and um, most troubles or anything I've ever gone through Gary would know about you know because he's my mate and, and I genuinely cast him as a good mate so um, it's, it's very difficult you don't know what to say for the best you don't upset people you don't want to but it comes to the stage where you've just got to you've got to just think of number one as they say you know and, and nothing else really matters and if you end up falling out with people then it sounds selfish but so be it you just have to think of your career and at the end of the day when I retire like Gary's not going to be there to pay my bills is he and neither is um, the guys at MDK or neither is Frank Warren I have to think of number one and as selfish as it sounds that's the top and bottom of it to be honest with you and I'm sure Matt will, will totally agree well, Matt, you you could have written a self-help book on this one as well. No, never mind just guiding people down their careers, but how to how to end in a relationship with a trainer by Matthew Macklin. <laughs> yeah, uh, like the first, like anything, the first time is always the hardest, isn't it? I was um, I was with uh, I, I was training in, with Paddy. Lynch, in, I was training in Paddy Lynch's gym as an amateur. Paddy Lynch didn't train me as an amateur the last couple of years. Um, then when I turned pro, I, I was almost kind of just a given that I was going to turn with Robert McCracken. He was going to manage and train me. Um, but that all kind of went wrong. And I ended up turning professional with Frank Warren. And I was, you know, I was 18, I was 19. I was living at home. And I ended up training in, uh, in Paddy's gym. Um, Paddy and his brother, probably 20 years before that, would have been good trainers for me. But at this stage of their lives, very, very successful men. You know, multi, multi-million pound PLC business they owned and, and really you know doing the corner on my fight night was a, was a night out and it, it was a hobby um, and look from their point of view they probably said well that's all I needed at that stage but I was like uh, Liam massively ambitious wanted, wanted to be there I wanted everything done yesterday really wanted to improve and get better and um, I was in a gym where it was literally me training Anthony Maynard was was there a little bit at the time and, and, and Roy Rutherford but no big name prospects or other champions or fighters and uh, I was always reading the boxing news and the boxing one thing I'd be, and I'd be reading how other people trained and I think well I'm not doing that and you know to the to the I was on about this the other day with uh, Ed Robinson I said to, to the extent that when I look back some of the stuff I did was 
borderline insanity like and stupid like i was doing a four-round fight and i was running nine miles of a morning because i read that takaloo was doing it in the boxing news you know what i mean like how how you stupid how stupid can you be you're running nine miles you're doing a four-rounder do you know what i mean and i'm doing that four three three i, I plan to do it five mornings a week but i, I probably didn't do it on the friday because i was so burnt out do you know what i mean that i couldn't get out of the bed and then it was like, but that's where the drive was at that stage. You know, that's where that ambition was. But it's, um, it's it's harnessing that and getting it right. But anyway, I'm waffling off on a tangent. But yeah, changing trainers. So I, I knew I knew I knew that I wasn't going to train with Paddy Lynch for the rest of my life. But it, you know, I had seven fights in ten months, and you win a fight, you feel good. You got the next day, it's like, oh, we'll see maybe the next fight. You know, and next thing I know, I had a fight, didn't perform well. Uh, I won it. I had a meeting with Frank Warren, and you know, he suggested Peter Harrison because. You know, he kind of had a good relationship with Peter at the time. So I went up there. I had one fight in Gladden. I went up there and I got injured for the first bit of a camp I did up there. Then I went up, had a fight. Didn't really perform great. Uh, anyway, I ended up going uh, back with Paddy, for Paddy training with Paddy for a fight because I had a few weeks' notice. Won that. Then I lost the fight to face. And I thought, right, I need to sort this training situation out. So I ended up going up to Billy Graham. And I was up there for four years. And... As you've clicked with Dom, I clicked with Billy really. Maybe straight away it was a little bit tough because he was really remoulding me from a style point of view and it was uncomfortable. But but I could I could see the benefits in, in the performances and, and, and I loved the crack with the lads and, you know, all, all, all the stories and everything. Hatton was obviously flying at the time yeah. and had good spine with him. But it was, you know, I left him after a few years. But I, re- I do remember, you know, and I, and I had other trainers after that. So it's kind of a... You know, we laugh about it. I had more trainers than fucking Oscar the lawyer. I think it was like I had, I had a lot. But when Stephen Smith, when Paul came to train with Joe Gallagher that time, uh, and me and Paul were good mates from a long time back in the schoolboys, and, and and all his family are good friends of mine. And Stephen uh, was coming up tra- training, but he was dreading telling Georgie Vaughan. He was going, and Stephen's a lovely. Anyone knows Stephen? He's the nine of the nicest kids you'll ever meet. You know what I mean? And he's going to. Uh, and I'm talking to him. He's going. I said, "So what? What are you doing? When are you? When are you joining? Or what's the what's the crack?" And he's going, "Oh yeah, no, I want to, but you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just dreading telling Georgie. You know, I love Georgie's, and you know, I, I'm a, he's going to be gutted and and, I, and all this. You know, I'm, I'm really dreading." And I said, "I oh, know, yeah, it is hard." I said, "But listen, it gets a lot easier after about six times." <laughs> And it just burst out. I mean, you know, they all burst out laughing. And I said, look, the way you got to think of it is this. Georgie is a good fella, but Georgie's trained a lot of fighters and he'll train other fighters. You know, you've got one career. You know, is Georgie Vaughan going to be having Christmas dinner with you in 20 years' time? No, he's probably not. I said, but your boxing career. So you've got one shot at this. And you don't want to be a dog or you don't want to back shit on anyone or, or, or backstab anyone. But you you can't be, you've got to be a little bit ruthless at times and a little bit selfish because you're the only one getting, you're the one who's going to live and die by your decisions. You're the one getting punched in the head. You know, if you take a fight that you shouldn't take, that you got advice to take, you know, every, it's you that has to live with the consequences of it all. No one else. Everyone moves on to the next fighter. I said, you, you've got one career. I said, so you don't want to, you, you've got to do things that sit with you morally. I said, but you can't be an absolute shitbag that's scared of having a bit of a confrontational conversation or you can't be too scared to hurt someone's feelings at the cost of your own career. 100%. Do you know what I mean? And, and you, you, you get thicker skin than you get Because I, I remember that time when I was leaving Paddy and when I'd, I'd had the meeting with Frank Warren when I was going up to be Harrison's. And we, he was going, oh, when are you going to do it? Because a good mate of mine was Terry Fletcher who boxed internationally for England and that with me. And uh, Terry trained with Frank because of me and, and, and obviously come and lived with me in Birmingham was training with Paddy. But I got in, I always went to box on this card, but I got injured. So Terry was still on it. So I was going up there with uh, Terry and I remember Frank saying to me, well, he said, you can't tell him in Glasgow, can you? Can you imagine flying back on the plane? And <laughs> 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 I said, like, yeah, that's true. He said, no, just... Get the fight out of the way, and then, I don't know. Team, and I remember that—that that was the, like to say, the first one's always awkward because I remember going in that week. And Paddy was someone I'd known of in years in Birmingham, and you know, in Birmingham boxing, he was—he he was a, a big person, and you know, a very successful man. So it was like I, I, it was quite daunting. I remember it was like I was going in for a fight, you know, the butterflies in your stomach and your legs. Good though, you need that. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> oh, it was horrible, but uh, yeah, get, get, gets a bit easier after about six or seven times. <laughs> I, I, um, it's interesting hearing all that. It's 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 one of those industries where you do have to make sure you've got one shot at this. You've got to make sure that you 
that when you finish, you're happy with the decisions that you've made, but you're also happy that you haven't behaved like a dick. And it's, it's, that's not an easy, that's, let's face it, that's not an easy balance to strike, is it? I mean, some people don't really care. They don't care what other people think it, of them. But that's where it takes courage. It takes courage to stand in front of someone and do the right thing. Go and see the man and tell him to his face. Don't be a, don't be a, a coward texting it or get someone else to ring. Yeah. Be you, a man. You're never going to feel like a dick as long as, as long as you feel like it's the right thing to do and, it, and you've gone about it the right way then. It's just you a decision against it. You be, know. Be, be a man. No one can no one can talk bad of you or, or fit, think bad of you for doing what was best for you. But if you do it in an underhanded way or in a bit of a coward way out of it, then then they can they, they can always hold that against you. But I think if so, at the end of the day, if someone if you've got the decency to go and tell someone to the face and you give the reason, no one can uh, talk bad of you for doing making a decision for what's best for you in your career. But if you do it in a bit of a un- underhanded way. Then, then they probably can. So I think you just there's a right way and a wrong way of doing things. But no one can, no one. If, if someone falls out with you for what you making a decision, what you think's best for your career, well, then they never cared about what was best then for you in the first place then. anyway. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to name names on this one necessarily either of you. But how difficult is it to kind of let go of something if you feel like someone has really shafted you? I, I don't know whether it happened to you. I don't know whether it's happened to you, Liam. And like I say, you don't have to. You know, this is not uh, this is not CSI. You don't have to go into particular details. But if that has happened to you during your career, how do you kind of internalise something like that? Because you don't want it to eat you up to the point where you're just full of bitterness. People say forgive and forget. I generally tend to think it's probably more a case of don't forget, but but move on. How? how anything like that happened to you? I'm trying to think, but like you said, forgiveness is something you do for yourself. You know, it, forgive, being be, be, being angry or holding a resentment against someone is like say they say it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You know what I mean? You that the person the person you're resenting half the time doesn't even know he's being resented. You know what yeah. I mean? You're the one burning up that energy, holding onto that anger. You just gotta let it let it go. Uh, so forgiveness is a, is is, a, is, we, is something we do for ourselves, for our own peace of mind and happens, but. Uh, forget no don't forget because you gotta you gotta look, remember the lesson here but um but you, you do have to forgive and, and, and move on and, and 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 not hold on to it because and, and and also seeing things from people's points of view you know like you know if i wrote a six on the table there i'm gonna see a six you're gonna see a nine from where you're standing so i think as you get a bit wiser and older, i like that one you, you know, you, he's on fire today he's on fire that's today that's very good those are back example. to back those are back to back Superb analogy. Smashed her. He is, he is. <laughs> I'm a wise old owl, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... Um, you, 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 listen, let me tell you, boxing... And, and I was very much on my business in boxing, like I say, to the detriment of the, the energy <sighs> I used to burn up and different things. But it does make you wise because you, 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 you learn so many life lessons, business lessons, everything. But it, it, it is... Um, I think as you, you get older as well, you look. I look back on certain things, and, and you can see people's points of view. You know, not every. You can be inboxing sometimes. Certainly, I could be like this. I could think these fuckers are against me. They're out to do. It ain't that personal. They're not trying to do that. From now, I can see from their point of view, they were. You know, they maybe had different agendas, and it was probably against mine a little bit. But they weren't out to do me. Do you know? I think that's I mean? that's a bit of a boxer's mindset, though, Matt. You know, because I always feel like. I'm very protective, like, over myself. And if, like, I always feel like somebody's trying to get one over on me. And I always react the wrong way and I'm fucking... I, I think... So I know Dom, and I know I knew Brendan well. And Brendan was good mates with my old amateur trainer, uh, Pat Benson, Irish fella uh, in Birmingham. And both of them were very anti-establishment you know what I mean? And it was our gym, and I know yours would have been the same back in the, when it was St. Thomas and Unity Boxing, very much kind of us against the rest of the world mentality. Do you know what I mean? And But I, like you say, and Joe Gallagher had that a bit, like that siege mentality. And, and I, I I think that's why I probably clicked with Joe, you know, I um, because it, I, we, we shared that kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's common. That's really common in, in individual sports particularly. And, I think that's a lot of fighters use that, and you, you by the sound of it, use that as, as something to kind of like feed the fire, feed the flames. That you know you're all out to get me. You're all out, even if you don't really believe it. It's something that you can you can use it, can't you? But you don't want to 
it, it can't be all consuming or you'll drive yourself totally mental yes yeah, so i suppose in in many ways it is a good thing because you just feel like you're not relying on anybody because not you can't trust anybody because like i've got a good team and management and trainers and stuff but anybody else outside of that to be honest with you i don't really trust them and that's just me maybe being a bit bad-minded but that that fuels me because i'm thinking i'm not relying on anybody else to do any good or bad for me i'm just I'm going to make my own tracks, you know, and I'm going to do good for myself. So, yeah, it's a difficult one because, like boxing, it can sometimes it can be a bit doggy dog, can't it? And uh, it's a bit of a naughty sport sometimes. But you know, you have your ups and your downs, and just got to make the most of both, I suppose. So, somebody asked me recently about about the, the the business of it, just boxing generally, and they didn't know anything about boxing at all. They just kind of got a bit interested in it recently. Just uh, read a book I'd. Um, I recommended for them and, and they were just asking me oh so, so what kinds of characters do you get in boxing I guess there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing and they said there are no there are no real wolves in sheep's clothing there are there are a few sheep in wolves clothing and then just loads of fucking wolves I mean <laughs> <laughs> that's that's basically how it is isn't it do you know what I think it is in boxing it, 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 you can't be you can't be too scared of, of confrontation. You can't be terrible. Can't, you can't be a people pleaser trying to please everyone and, and not pleasing yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, that's an impact. You're not going to please everyone anyway. And, and, and ultimately, it's your, your career. I said, but it, it, it can be dog eat dog without being snide. You know, you've got to be ruthless and selfish enough to do what's best for you and be happy at the end of your career that you did what was best for you and you did the right things. But you also don't want to look back and think, oh, well, I should. I, I, you don't want to shit on anyone. Yeah. You don't want to be underhanded or snide or sneaky. I think you, you know, you've got to be able to fly straight, look yourself in the mirror, and know that you're doing the right thing for the right reason. But don't, you can't be, you can't obsess about people. You can't be trying to please to please everyone, and you can't be scared of ups. Can't be too scared of upsetting people yeah. because you are going to upset people. If you're going to do what's best for you, along the line, people are going to, you know, feel like they got. Yeah. No, not that. But I think as long as you know that you're not doing anything sneaky or snide, or you're not shitting on anyone, then. I think you can't be you can't overly obsess on, on, on trying to please everyone. Uh, that's that's the way I've been like um, up until maybe the last eighteen months to two years. I've always been a bit of a people pleaser, and I just you know I just go along with things which sometimes I'm not really comfortable with. But lately, I just thought you know I'm not I, I'm not that person. I'm I want to do what's best for me, and then if you're not with me on on that track, then. Get the fuck off, German. I remember when I left Billy. So I, I got very close to Billy Graham at one point, and I remember I'd lost the fight with Jamie Moore, and then I had a, the, the, had a tough year after it. Really, fights falling through, a couple of injuries, and you know. But it was nearly, a, I think it was ten months out of the ring from the fight from the, the last of Jamie Moore to my next fight back, and you know that's ten months spent thinking, oh, where am I going in my career? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, that coincided with Ricky Hatton uh, American debut fighting out in America. And it was amazing to be a part of that. And I look back and it was, there were so, some amazing memories. Uh, unbelievable memories, unbelievable uh, thing to be a part of. But I remember at the, I remember after the Hatton Mayweather fight, being in Vegas and getting back. And I remember thinking, you know, where things had kind of gone over the, the, the sort of 12 months previous, where it played, where it come up to now. I remember thinking to myself, listen, it's great being a part of, this uh, Ricky Hatton story, but I want my own story. You know, I want my own story. Whatever that is, I want my own story. I don't want to be just a part of someone else's. And here I'm thinking, Ricky's gone at that stage where he's in these big fights and Billy's heads fell off. And you know what I mean? It was just, I just thought, nah, this is, this is the time to go now. Mm. The interesting thing about, about plotting your career as well is that you're doing this for money. It's uh, it's prize fighting. It's called that for a reason. And generally speaking, all fighters want to win a world title because you want to be a world champion. That's something you dream about when you're a kid. And if you win a world title, then that gives you a currency and with it should come money. But you can't box forever. And obviously an immediate goal is to win a world title. But counterbalancing that, You've got to try and make as much as you possibly can before before you hang before you hang the gloves up. Yeah. I mean, is that something that's become more and more of a realization as you've got a bit older that it's not 
it is about the glory, but it also kind of isn't. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Obviously, um, every, every fighter's dream is to become world champion, and, and fully that's, that's my dream. That's exactly what I want to do is become world champion. But if you had, if you had to put a shitload of cash there or a world title belt there, I know which one I'd pick. I'd pick the money because belts don't pay bills, do you know what I mean? And, and that's, for me, that's what it's about because I'm trying to secure, uh, you know, a good future for my family and, and my daughter. And, you know, I could give you that world title belt. means a lot, means, means a massive amount, you know, but that ain't going to secure your future, that ain't going to buy you a house or pay your bills. You it's mean? a bit of a mad one, that, because to be honest, they go hand in hand. Chase the glory and the money will come. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you chase the money, if you become world champion and you defend it and you, be, you keep defending you, you, you're, you're going to make, the money is just going to come and, and leave that to your management. Yeah, sometimes money can make you make the, the wrong decisions, can't can yeah, For definitely. sure, yeah. I think chase, chase the glory uh, and just um, trust that your team are going to take care of the business and, and, and if you're with the right team, they will. Yeah. I mean, when you look at what's going on in world boxing at the moment, we, we had a similar kind of thing with PBC not that long ago where they arrived and were just throwing around unbelievable amounts of money and, and DAZN have done a similar thing. DAZN are the different side of the fence to you, of course, because you're with, with Frank Warren and, and DAZN are partnered up with, with Eddie Hearn. But it must be hard sometimes to kind of look at the other... The grass is always greener, isn't it? When you look over at America, for example, and you just think... Well, that's where the money is, and then maybe you go fight in America, and by the time you get there, the money's back over here again. It's 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 like Matt says, you the the, the one constant is the one principle that that should hold true is that if you've got a title, then you will then you will make that money. Yeah, yeah. As you said, it's um, it's one of them really where things can always be better. You're always looking for something bigger or better, but I, I think it's just about being consistent as long as you are putting in the work and. Um, you know, doing the right things. I think you'll get them. And, I, and as you said, once I win a world title, th- that will be my time, and it'll just come in hand in hand. And you know, just keep progressing from there. I hope. And Welsh boxing too. You know, it's I've read a lot down the years about about uh, boxing down in South Wales, particularly, and and there's been unbelievable fighters from from back in the day. I was I was reading a great article about Colin Jones in the recent Boxing News or, or Boxing Monthly in his fights against Milton McCrory, and, and you've had Joe Joe um, I almost said Joe Gallagher then Joe Calzaghe, uh, Enzo of course who we know well, Nathan Cleverly, uh, Jay Harris has got a massive fight coming up against against Julio Martinez, and there's there's such a rich tradition down there of of, of highly skilled but really just really tough fighting men and it's important that it gets continued are you, are you South Wales as well Liam Say it again, are you South Wales yeah South Wales I'm, I'm from uh, Ron the Valley's place called Tonopandia you probably heard of a guy called Tommy Farr there was a, there was a club the heavyweight there was yeah. a club down there called uh, Moisteg Moisteg yeah yeah I boxed, a kid beat me in the Class A schoolboy, because so, Wales used to, and England, Wales used to be in the championships. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the Midlands, nearly every year when you won the Midlands, in the quarterfinals, you'd, you'd box Wales, the Welsh. And uh, in this book, they changed it around the year I was in the Class A's, and, and I beat the kid from the Northwest. And then in the semi finals, I boxed a kid from Maesteg. Maesteg? Maesteg. Maesteg. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Evans. He actually died on holiday, died in a. I think he died in a swimming pool, the shallow or something shallow end, and cracked yeah. his head or something like that. He definitely he died. I mean, he was oh, only a few sure. years after that. My stake like, is with where um, Jason Cook. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason yeah, Cook. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where he's from over yeah. there. So it's it's uh, about twenty to thirty minutes from where I live, 
over the mountain, yeah. I think South South Wales is kind of dominates it, doesn't it, in the boxing? Yeah, yeah. It's um, going back to the other fella, Tommy Farr. He actually lives like a stone throw away from me. I think he charged for a world title and a couple of different things, yeah. I'm not sure if British was he British champion? Yeah, I'm sure he would have been. He was he was a heavyweight. Um, yeah, he had some big big fights. Um, he had a fight against Joe Lewis, I think. And yeah, he fought Joe Lewis. Yeah, he's he's one of these he's one of these fighters. When you you go back a little bit, Howard Winston would be another one. He's not quite as far back as Tommy Farr, but then Jimmy Wilde. When you go further back, he, he used to live a, a stone throw away from me. Um, in the next street down, like I, I could walk to his house in less than a minute. So that's a bit of a mad one as well. What's what's next now? What's on the horizon? What's when's what sort of dates are they looking at, and what fights are they talking? Are they going to promote you in Wales, or what's kind of the next move? Um, to be honest, I can't really answer you that question because I don't know for sure myself. But obviously, my hope is that they can deliver a world title fight. Whether that be, it probably be in the states if if that is the case. But if not. There has been mention of them coming to Wales, uh, Cardiff, hopefully. So, you know, that'd be another good one for me. I'd be happy to fight in Cardiff. Um, who, I don't know, but I, going back to what I said before, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to push over. I'm, I feel like I'm on a good run now. I want to keep the keep the cogs turning. You know, when you I don't want to keep wanna... the momentum, don't you? You need. I think that you need fights now that are going to teach you something. Every single, even if it's a former world champion who's a little bit on the slide, but a good name. Exactly. I think um, I don't feel a bit bad doing this, but like someone like Martin Murray, I think that's a very good fight, you know, because I like Martin. He's he's a very good guy. By the way, I do think that of him. But um, I think somebody he's not at his best, but he's a big name. He's been there. Big name. He challenged a lot of very good fighters, done well against them fighters, and I think it'd be a, a crowd pleasing fight, um, something that the fans would would buy into. So. Something like that, um, or somebody maybe just just fringe world level. If I don't get the world title fight, just to just to keep me at that level, ready to to go next time. I think for you, the Martin Murray is a great fight because you got so much to gain from it. It's just I'm thinking even if a Martin Murray, what 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 is there to gain for him really? Do you know what I mean? He's probably looking for another shot at a world title. You want yeah, but then again, if he beats me, there is a shot. So. I suppose. Yeah, if I was Martin, I'd see you as high risk, high risk, low reward. Really, yeah. Yeah. Not saying there's no reward because you're you're obviously a name as well. But the risk probably is easier. Easier tracks. I agree. Somebody else who could be a good fight for you because I don't think he's he's boxed on a couple of Dazone Matchroom USA shows in recent times. But I I don't think he signed anything. Is Gabe Rosado? He's had some good Gabe Rosado. Yeah, he's had some good results. He had a good fight against Soletsky. I mean, the, um, the, the Murray fight is more appealing in terms of, a, a, from a television point of view, from a ticket sales point of view. I mean, I suppose that's up to Frank to put yeah. his money, hand in his pocket and make, make Martin an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. You just never know how things are going, going to turn out. I mean, you're, you're number two with the WBO, so just thinking about what could happen there. Andrade's not made a mandatory defence since he won the title. He's made three voluntary, so he should be... G1. I think, he has, I think he has to do mandatory next, if I'm right. So that would be Munguia as it as it stands. But as we know, he's looking, he's looking for unifications. He's looking for bigger fights. Now, he's not going to get a fight against Canelo. That that I think we can agree that's not going to happen. Yeah. I don't understand why necessarily if you were. I, I think Billy Joe's going to get that fight. You know. Billy I think Joe Billy or Joe's Callum, you would think, fight. is going to is going to get that fight. I don't and think Callum's going to get. It. I think he's, I think they just look at him and think he's too big. Callum's he's too he's massive. He's too big and too too dangerous. Yeah, too for, big, and, too dangerous. For t- too low reward. You know, the again with risk reward. I think I think Callum's too high risk, and I think they see too low reward. I think they I don't think they when they look at Billy Joe and think he's a bit of a nightmare style wise and that, but he's probably got more bigger profile, hasn't he, than Callum? Certainly. You know, in America, he's been there longer. He's been yeah, linked no, to Canelo for longer. I think he's got a good chance of getting that. But whoever does or doesn't get it, then whoever doesn't get it could fight Andrade. Andrade could step up a division and fight one of those two because he's been talking about fighting Billy Joe Saunders. Whether he'd fancy fighting Callum Smith, if Smith doesn't get the Canelo fight, who knows? But I'm just speculating. Or he could fight Liam. Or he could fight Liam. Or yeah. 
or Liam could fight Munguia for a vacant title for the WBO middleweight if Andre did step up. There are plenty of things that, that could happen here. And these are the conversations that are all going on in rooms and offices and phone calls and WhatsApps and emails. But that, that, that's, what made, that's what makes, for me, that's why I love boxing so much because there's so many different possibilities and so there's so many good talking points. As, you, as we were speaking about earlier, sometimes it can be a pain in the arse where you're frustrated and stuff, but... It's exciting as well, and it? it's, oh, it's that's just, what makes it so addictive. We were, we were yeah, always saying it said all all the, uh, the boxing, the, the the chaos, and all the school duggery and back dealing and, 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 and things that don't make it's good sense. Good donors, yeah. That, I, I mean, that's the in some things. We, if it was like more straightforward, more casuals would maybe follow it because they could understand it. But then I also think uh, that's half the intrigue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember when. Um, well, we were talking to Anna recently, Anna Woolhouse, and when she was quite new to boxing, I remember uh, telling her that a couple of eliminators had been made for the British welterweight title. I think Conor Ben had been put in one and Josh Kelly had been put in another. Uh, and she said to me, so, oh, brilliant. So if Conor Ben wins his eliminator and Josh Kelly wins his eliminator, then they'll meet in a final eliminator and then the winner of that will box for the title. I said, in theory, that could happen, but in real life... There's absolutely no chance of that happening. Uh, and she just looked at me as if to say, well, what the fuck are we doing here then? Um, and, but it's, it's, hard, but it's, it's, yeah. it's hard to explain. That's the British Boxing Board of Control. And I think they're as fair as anyone when it comes to giving people a crack at things. But you do find yourself saying that a lot. You, yeah, you find, I find myself saying, I can understand why you might think that. <laughs> but I can tell you now that that... That most logical thing that you just highlighted, that is the one thing I'm absolutely sure is not going yeah. to happen. As you said, British Boxing Board of Control is, is probably one of the most, you know, straight down the line, but, and they are very difficult even. So everything outside of that, you've got all these different um, governing bodies and it's just... Make it up as they go along. Madness, yeah. It is, it is. Okay, well, we'll, we'll leave it there because we've taken up a, enough of your time. Liam, thanks for dropping by. He, he came down to see us. That's quite rare. We, we're usually out and about um, dropping in on people. I know, but, uh, been, we'd have had a bit of fun trying to navigate our way around Sheffield, wouldn't we? I'm actually very, very happy that you're ended there because I'm busting for a pee so bad. You wouldn't believe <laughs> You could have said, you could have said. We could I'm have blowing just, up here. We could have just popped it on pause. Um, right, so we'll let you go. Thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, usual things, if you could give us a rate. Uh, on iTunes and uh, write us a review and subscribe and all the rest of it. That'll be great, and we'll see you again soon. Someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the way to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.